Hey, welcome back. We have another episode and I have a surprise for you. I have another guest on. Two episodes in a row I have a guest on. I'm so happy. Um, COVID's getting really bad right now in Kingston. So we recorded this literally almost three months ago. <laughs> I think or was it two months ago. I don't know. Math is hard. But um, my guest wants to be anonymous. She is a mental health professional working in the field currently who has and is struggling with mental health herself. It's an amazing perspective. I can't wait for you to hear these stories. Um, it does get deep. We do talk about suicide and, you know, support systems. So if you think that'll be triggering for you, I do recommend maybe skipping this one out. But if you think that it will help you in any way or if you're interested to hear about what it's like, um, you know, who helps the helper? when you're, And if you are someone that is a main support system for other people, this might be good to hear. We talk about how to take care of yourself, what self-care really is because it's not – it's not what, you know – when you think of self-care, you think of like bubble baths and like face masks. It's not that. Self-care is not an option. It's a responsibility that we have as an individual and a person of your society. It's it's being self-aware and taking the time and taking care of yourself and showing yourself self-compassion. So if that's something that you're interested in listening about, then please by all means, this episode is a longer one. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. We just went to dinner. It was fantastic. And we got some fancy stuff. Yeah. Um, it was a well-deserved Friday meal and yeah. drinks. Yeah. Yeah. Long week. Horrendous week. Yes. I hated this week. You are in the field of mental health. I am. Yeah. And you have struggled and are, you know, dealing with mental health yourself, which yeah. we all do. And I'm interested to hear what you have to say because I'm working towards where you are right now. Yeah, yeah I think being someone in the field of mental health and someone who has experienced mental health issues for a very long time gives me a lot of perspective that a lot or some mental health workers might not have. I agree. And so I think that that makes me empathize with my clients and connect with them in a way that not everyone can. I understand a lot of their situations, which both helps me and makes it more challenging to do my job um, mm -hmm. because I feel for them, but I can only do so much for them, which is also like really hard for me. Um, and I have to be really good at self-care yeah. in my own job. I was going to say, how is that having to keep up with your self-care all the yeah, time? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a constant process. Um, some days I'm really good at my self-care and I'm like really self-aware of kind of what I need if I've had a challenging day. Whereas other days I am kind of shitty at it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. yeah, and I like break down and I, I feel the effects of kind of what a challenging day has been like and how it's affected me and and I if I didn't take that time to kind of stop pause reflect um yeah it, it affects me 
Well, you gave me some really good advice at dinner tonight. Okay, yeah. How sometimes when I get overwhelmed or like when I have a big change, yeah. usually I would just like give a shift away and like yeah. have an extra day off. But now I'm living on my own and I have yeah. to go to work every day, which like is a normal thing people have to do. But like for, adulting. Yeah, I have <laughs> the to challenges adult. of adulting. Yeah, I at dinner, I. Um, talked about how it's really important not only to do self-care but to um, to kind of recognize what you need in that moment Mm. Um, and to be um, to show yourself like that compassion that self-compassion so this is show someone else yeah so that's something that I often ask clients who um, who kind of feel really overwhelmed and um, they, they really struggle with, I don't know what to do in that moment. I don't want to do anything. Um, and I, I kind of stop and I, I say like, do you show yourself self-compassion? And they're like, what? Like, what is that? Yeah. Um, and like, when you say the word compassion, like I typically think of like, I am compassionate to others, but like, are you compassionate to yourself? Yeah. Like, do you acknowledge what you need in a moment that's difficult, that's challenging, that's tough, that makes you feel a certain way. Um, that's like, like preventing burnout right there. Yeah. Like that's a good way just in general Yeah, yeah. to do every day. Yeah. And kind of stopping and pausing and like, even if like, like we all have work to do, things are busy, but like giving yourself that time to be like, what do I need in this moment? Mm-hmm. Um, and like I was telling you as adults, who do experience mental health stuff, um, we do have those responsibilities of, like, we have to go to work. Like, we have bills to pay. We have, we've got life shit. We've got adulting to do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, like, at work, what can you do to be compassionate to yourself and kind of address what you need in that moment? Yeah. Um, letting people know, Hey, like if I'm, if I seem off today, I'm just lowering my energy level Yeah. to be able to make it through the shift. Yeah, exactly. Like if I'm less upbeat today, it's just because I'm pouring from an empty cup and I don't have a lot to pour. Yeah. That's like, awesome. It's not a you thing. It's just like, I'm having an off day. Yeah. And I think even just letting other people know, um, Makes not only yeah it makes you feel better because yeah because you don't you're like oh I don't have to put on that like hi and like what I hate is when someone's like how are you doing and like my answer is like if it's fake me it's like oh I'm doing great things how are you yeah whereas in my head I'm like I am not (laughs) I am not so it's like yeah kind of acknowledging that that in yourself that like you know what? Today I'm acknowledging that I am not doing great. So I'm not going to try and fake it for you. And you're like sticking up for yourself, you know? Yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah. And it's great. And like. It's a great tip. Like if you need like at work to like go take a walk, like go to the bathroom, even if you don't have to go to the bathroom just to like yeah. get away from it. I mean, that's acknowledging that like I need a minute and yeah. that's okay. So those small moments of acknowledging what you need can help you get through the day. Yeah. Yeah. And I think others can learn too from you as well. Like in my workplace, we're all pretty close. And mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like if I went in and did that, then 
the next day if someone else needs that yeah they're gonna be like oh i never thought to do that yeah to just kind of let people know where you're at yeah i think it's great a great thing yeah it not only kind of respects yourself and sets that boundary for yourself but it lets other people know it's not a them thing so they're not overthinking like did i do something is that why she's off because i know i've definitely had that situation where i'm like oh that person seems really off like i and i like internalize that and i'm like did i do something yeah are they mad at me so i i don't know i just always really appreciate when, when people kind of set that boundary for me for that day like yeah i can't do it today do you want to talk about you and yeah how you became in this field and yeah i guess i'll give a little bit of background on myself um so i was informally diagnosed with anxiety when i was four years old four four years old wow yeah um so i grew up um in a house with an abusive dad my mom is fantastic Mm -hmm. um but yeah i didn't grow up with a great dad and i'm I do dad always in like quotation marks because he's not really a dad, but right. Um, yeah. So I was informally diagnosed with anxiety at the age of four, wasn't treated. Um, and I didn't really want to talk about kind of my experience with abuse. I just always said like, these are my symptoms, but I never explained why. Mm-hmm. Um, to like a doctor or a professional, like my mom knew what was going on. Um, and she stayed married to my dad until, um, both my sister and I were headed off to university. My sister was already in the university. Um, and then she finally left him and she stayed because she wanted to protect us. Um, which I will forever be grateful for. Um, and yeah, so as someone who experienced child abuse, um, so I experienced emotional, psychological, um, physical, and mental um, child abuse. I did not experience sexual, thank gosh. Um, But yeah, it was tough. And um, I definitely think that my experiences influenced why I wanted to become a social worker and enter into a helping profession. And for a really long time, I thought I'm going to work with kids. And man, did that change. Mm. (laughs) Um, So working with kids in my profession would be way too triggering. Mm, Um, Okay. So as someone who has mental health issues, experienced abuse, and is in the mental health profession, it's really important to kind of feel out what those triggers are for you and acknowledge those. We all have them in our profession. And yeah, like I, I can't work with kids and I love kids outside of my profession, but if I were to work with kids, I'd want to take them all home and Mm -hmm. like, just, I'd take my work home with me every day and I can't do that. Yeah. Did you, were you like worried about that, that it could be a possibility that it would be triggering going into it or did it just kind of hit you like, oh my gosh, that's triggering? I mean, 
Did you think at that it was a possibility at all? At first, when I entered the field, I was a little bit juvenile in my thinking, I guess, because um, I wanted to put like two things together that I loved, like working with kids and helping people and kind of just put them all in one. Um, and then I worked at a um, camp for at-risk um, youth, girls specifically. Um, a lot of them were in the foster care system. And yeah, after doing that, I learned really quickly that I can't, I cannot do that. Um, so I think it was just a little bit of trial and error to kind of feel out what felt good and what felt like I was going home with my work every night. Right. And, and I never felt like I had a, line between my personal and my professional life, Mm. which I think is really important to kind of create that boundary for yourself. Did you ever hear the analogy? I said it in really early episode. Yeah. It's in a smaller situation that this analogy would help. Um, Say you have a bunch of clients, picture them all as like books on a shelf in a library. Yeah. And at the end of the day, all of your clients or all of the books are open in the middle. Mm Mm-hmm. And then before you go home, you have to personally pick up every single one and close it and put it back on the shelf. Yeah. I love that analogy. That's so good. Honestly. Yeah. I think it's so true. Like every day you see certain clients or you open certain clients files and and you kind of stories. Yeah. And you, you hear about their life and their experiences. And at the end of the day, yeah, you kind of just have to like, close that book, put it back on the shelf and just leave it there and acknowledge that like that story is theirs. Yeah. That that's theirs. And it will be there for tomorrow for you to deal with. You can come back to it, but like that book stays there. Yeah. Well, I know I've said it before, but yeah. Thank you again for coming on and just sharing whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah. No problem. I mean, it's, it means so much and I just want people to you know listen and get educated yeah and feel more comfortable sharing their stories and yeah I'm so glad we reconnected and oh my gosh yeah I mean we started on the yeah we've known each other for over a decade yeah which is insane over a decade um and then we reconnected I assume over Instagram and then I started doing the happily mental zoom meetings yeah and I think that we reconnected because you shared your first podcast okay because I didn't really hear from you after high school yeah um and then you shared your first podcast episode right after high school I went into the psych yeah board. exactly exactly <laughs> and then you shared that yeah and I yeah this past year so 2020 to 2021 okay was a horrendous year of mental health for me. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And then, so you shared your first podcast. Yeah. And I reached out to you just saying like, I think this is fantastic that you are like speaking about this. I was like, I am so sorry that I had no idea. And that like, you felt alone and like, you didn't know kind of who your friends were at the time and you had to rebuild yourself, your support system. And, um, as someone who at that time was really struggling with their mental health 
and to someone who is a mental health professional, I just kind of wanted to reach out and not only kind of offer my like support for both you sharing your story, but also just, I mean, I know how important it is and just to hear someone say, even if you haven't talked to them in a while, like I'm here for you. Yeah. Like if you ever want to talk, like I'm here, no judgment, like, yeah, no questions asked. Like I'm here. I think that's how we've reconnected so easily is because we both know that we're a safe or safe yeah. people to tell each yeah. other. Yeah. And there will be absolutely no judgment whatsoever. No. And I think that's, yeah. that's what you need from a friendship. And like what I love about our friendship is it's like reciprocated. It's not like a one-sided yeah. friendship. Yeah. It's, I know you have stuff going on. I know I have stuff going on. Yeah. I will support you in the best way I can. You support me in the best way you can. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think it's kind of that, like, you, you're pouring into a cup that also pours into yours. Yes. Type of thing. So you yeah. don't feel like you're pouring too and, much. Yeah. And, and you're not, not getting, getting anything back. Yeah. It's not like a draining friendship. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this year with my mental health was horrible. Yeah. Like when you were struggling last year, I didn't even necessarily know exactly what you were struggling with. Yeah. But I didn't care. I just mm-hmm. knew that I needed, I wanted you to know Yeah. that whatever you needed from me Yeah. or what you didn't need from me, I was 100% like, I was yeah. cool with it. And I think that that's like the best thing about our friendship specifically, but I think that's so important for any friendship that like it shouldn't matter to what degree someone is struggling that you, you don't care need about. to understand to be to, there and yeah, respect and, and to be able to be like, I'm here for you. And yeah. sometimes those words are so important just to be like, I'm here for you yeah. when you need me and like in whatever capacity, whether that's just someone to listen, whether that's someone to provide advice yeah, um, or just to provide like a distraction. Um, so yeah. So my year in a nutshell, I was in my master's through a pandemic mm-hmm. <laughs> online. I never really left my house because my life was on my laptop. And my Wi-Fi was at my house. Yeah. Um, so I felt really isolated, which I know that so many people in the world felt through COVID. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the luxury of um, like going to school or going to work and seeing people. All of my interactions were through a computer. Um, I reached out to my best friends um, at the time to kind of say like, I'm struggling, like, and like, I would try to like, let's go for walks. Let's do something. I know it's a pandemic, but let's do something outside. Um, and it was initially, it was like, sure. Okay. And like, I'm talking like these friendships have been there for over a decade. Like these are the types of friendships that were like, you can't see my fingers, but like Mm -hmm. they're intertwined, like yeah we knew each other we knew everything and yeah and then um it just became really distant um and then yeah it just kind of stopped like which I'm sure it was confusing it was super confusing because 
um, with my one best friend, we'd never even had a fight mm. ever mm. in our whole friendship. Like if we'd ever felt like something was uneasy or off, we'd be like, are you mad at me? Right. And the other person would be like, no, or like, Nipple uh, right in the butt yeah. Or honest. like, uh, this kind of annoyed me, but like, no, I'm not mad. Yeah. Like whatever. Like it was not a thing. And yeah. Um, and you still kind of are in the dark, eh? Like, oh, I have no idea. Right. No idea. They started dating mm-hmm. someone new. Um, and at first when they were kind of just seeing this person, um, every time that we would speak, it would be like about that person. And I would provide kind of support or whatever they needed mm-hmm. um, for that. Um, but then when I was like reached out and I was like, I'm struggling. Yeah. I need something. You need some help. Or just, just yeah. someone to talk to. Yeah. And it just, um, things felt off. That's how I would describe it at first. Things felt distant, which is something I've never felt with them. Um, and yeah, so, um, I think it was October of 2020, um, where I really started to kind of notice that disconnect, message them, just kind of being like, haven't heard from you in a while, which is very rare. Like we didn't text every day, but it was like a Snapchat here or there, or like right, just some type of interaction. Yeah. In the smallest way, whether it's like sending a meme or whatever, yeah. tagging them in something. Um yeah, and that kind of that just stopped. Um, and so I messaged, didn't hear from them for days, but they would post on social media. And so it makes your mind wander, which makes your mind go so many places. You're like social media. Oh my God. I deleted it for a good part of last year. Yeah. Um, which was nice, but it also having anxiety, it just kind of made me overthink a lot, especially at first, right after deleting it. Right. Um, but yeah, we stopped talking. I messaged because one, I was just really concerned about them. Like, I was like, are you okay? Yeah. Like, is there something going on that I don't know about? Um, cause there's so many possibilities and you're not so many, them. so many is a family member sick. Are yeah. you sick? Are like, you not doing well? Cause I am and you're not helping me. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm literally <laughs> saying to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Like I'm literally saying in clear words, I am struggling. Yeah. I would love a support system would, right now. Even just acknowledgement of any kind Yeah. from my best friend of over a decade. Yeah. And yeah, that wasn't there, but yet, I would see them on social media. And so that was really hard. That was like a slap in the face. I think that was one of the things that we opened up about on our Zoom chats. Yes. Yes. That's kind of how we. Yeah. Yeah. And. Reconnected. Yeah. um, Yeah. And then it got to the point where I was kind of past that concerned point for them because I could see that they were like happily surviving and socializing and seeing other people and interacting mm. with other people. Um, so any hope of yeah something's going on, this isn't what I think it is. Yeah. And then in November of last year, my brother-in-law nearly died. 
um, was fighting for his life um, at one point. And I still remember this moment after I got the call that like this had happened. Yeah. Um, and I remember texting my best friend. I say that with softness around that word because we're not best friends anymore. Um, yeah. And I remember texting her saying I could really use my best friend right now. And that's what I said. And she didn't answer me for, I think it was a few days. And all she said when she messaged back was, um, hope things are okay. I just don't understand. Yeah. And, um, like when you're literally begging your best friend to be like, yeah, anything to literally show any kind of empathy or like kindness or caring or support. Um, and yeah, so I was like, okay. Um, and then, so that happened in November. Um, my mental health continued to go down. Um, as I saw my sister's mental health go down, as I saw my brother-in-law's mental health go down, um, after the, um, event. Yeah. Um, because he wasn't okay right away. Like he's still not, it's still rehabilitation. Yeah. It's just getting back to walking. It's like their life changed in a minute. And so trying to be that support system for my sister and for her in that experience, um, I needed someone to talk to. I needed a support system outside of my family because my family was all experiencing this. Yeah. And the people who I had always been a support system for that wasn't reciprocated for anymore. Mm. Um, after that, I then was, so I was seeing multiple doctors. I was having a lot of health issues physically, um, experiencing significant pain, um, late night trips in the ER. Um, yeah, not sure what was happening. Um, my insides were screaming. Um, so then saw a specialist was told some harsh news, um, about my ability to have kids. Um, just about the fact that like I would need surgery every few years that there's no cure for my disease and just kind of given bad news after bad yeah, news. bad news after bad news. So then it just continued. Like I've always wanted kids. So finding out like I have a strong chance of either not being able to, or significantly struggling to have kids mm-hmm. was so challenging. Yeah. Um, again, no support system outside of my family. Um, actually I shouldn't say no support system. I have one fantastic best friend who's outside of that friend group mm. who has nothing to do with it. Know her still from high school, but she's outside of that friend group. She's fantastic. That's good. Um, so she's been there through all of that. Um, just want to acknowledge that. <laughs> um, yeah. And then from there, my first relative ever 
died. My grandpa died in mm. January of that year. Of this year? Of 2020. Okay. Yeah, he died in January of 2020, um, which was really sad, not only for the fact that I lost him, but my grandma, who was blind, lost – he was her eyes. Oh. Um, so she lost so much independence. And it was COVID, so we couldn't we couldn't go and see her. We couldn't go support her. We couldn't go say goodbye to him. That was really challenging. Again, reached out to my friends, who I thought were my friends. Nothing. I just don't understand. I have, and again, I'm like, and I know how hard that is. Oh, it how like alone that feels. And like I say it now because I'm in such a better place. But like, yeah, I every single day. I would cry. I would break down. I would bawl my eyes out. I was not sleeping. Yeah. I, I was I not feel eating. That, yeah. What you felt. I feel that. Yeah. Like I, I wanted, like I wanted to know so badly what I had done because I, I hate feeling like I I've done something to someone. Yeah. I hate that feeling. And it's even worse when you've like, and especially having anxiety yeah. You overthink it and overthink it. And like, it consumed me Yeah, in every sense. Now you don't think you did anything wrong, did you? I don't know. I mean, I really, other than being a fantastic friend yeah, and reaching out to my friends when I needed support, maybe I felt a little overbearing, but like sometimes you need a little bit more. Like yeah. I was going through hell. Sometimes you got to put other people before yourself. Yeah. And, you know, you guys have been friends for that long. Yeah. And, I mean, I've always been that friend who, like, you can call me at 3 a.m. I will pick up the phone. I will be there. Like, yeah. what can I do? And it felt like when I, when, like, aspects of my life were literally falling apart, like, they were nowhere to be found. And I'm like, okay, this, this feels like absolute shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I overthought it every day. Like I would have panic attacks every day. I, I slept in my mom's bed because I couldn't sleep and just cry myself to sleep anymore. And he, like my mom would hear me and her heart would break. Mm -hmm. And like, she's like, she couldn't do it anymore. So she's, um, so I slept in my mom's bed with her and, um, yeah, I was contacting like my family doctor because my medications obviously weren't doing enough, weren't helping. But at the same time, I know medications are not the only aspect of health and mental health and kind of getting to a place of health yeah. um, into a better mental state. So I was actively seeking kind of therapeutic counseling, um, but yeah, I still like every day, all day was overthinking it, like everything. That's all I thought about. So then deleted social media. I think I deleted it in November after my brother-in-law's accident. Mm. Um, yeah. And, um, throughout that time, I think I didn't have it throughout my birthday no birthday messages from them, like nothing. God, it's just brutal. Like, yeah, didn't hear. Why? Um, when my grandpa died, I heard from all of them except for one. Right. 
um, which is the one that I've been like the closest with for like, not the closest with, but like, I guess, yes, but like has been the most consistent through everything. Mm-hmm. Her and I were like, like we were one in the same. Yeah. And yeah, it was just a slap in the face. Um, so yeah, so I deleted social media. And then when I got social media back, I deleted that one individual off of social media. I didn't block them, but, and I didn't want them to like look at that and think, oh my gosh, she deleted me off social media. Like she's the one who instigated this friendship ending, whatever. Right. Um, because I didn't like, I was just doing what I needed, which was to stop seeing her social media. Yeah. And just stop seeing her like socializing with everyone else. Um, because the last time that we did talk, or I shouldn't say we talked, the last time that she messaged me or responded to a message, she said, um, it's COVID-19, um, can't be seeing people. Right. So COVID Which became... Was like the general excuse for everyone not to COVID see each other. became a convenient excuse. Yeah. And I just wanted to be like, I can see your social media. Yeah, like... You are socializing. <laughs> do you find it awkward sometimes when, like, you're so self-aware and then you can, like... Oh. <laughs> you can see right through people, but they aren't self-aware. So oh, yeah. So you think that they're, like, fooling you and you're yeah. like... Like, how awkward is that? It's it's awkward, and like, I how do think... You tell, you're just like, oh. okay. If it's so awkward, because it's like... They think they're being so smart, and you're yeah. like, okay, yeah, I and you're just exactly what you're doing. You you literally just want to shake your head, and in your head, you're just like, <laughs> really, like, yeah, you really think I'm buying this? Yeah, do you how dumb do you think I am? Oh my gosh, it's painful. <laughs> it's so painful. It is. So yeah, <laughs> following after that, um, it's kind of a curse, though, eh? Oh my gosh, it's a curse, but it's also a blessing. So after. So um, I would have thought it was a curse before I am where I am now. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So after that, after I'd, like, officially lost my best friend, um, my two other close friends from that friend group kind of dissipated with her. They definitely chose a side, even though I didn't want any side to be chosen. They chose a side. And that was with her. And then um, I felt like I've never felt so alone in my life. Um, So I initially just contemplated suicide every day. I thought about how if I just drove my car a little faster and just like didn't stop at a red light and just or like drove into a pole, drove into a wall. Like that's what my thoughts then consisted of as yeah how different ways how I could just end it and I didn't say anything to anyone for a while um I still remember my mom came home from work and and I was so depressed at this point like leaving bed was a very rare occasion Mm -hmm. um I was in my master's through all of this. I was very fortunate that I had very understanding professors 
And I like explained my situation and how much I was struggling. Big benefit in mental health. Huge benefit because they're all in the field of yeah. helping people. It's so nice to be honest. Yeah. And I, I felt like I, I could not keep going. And so I either needed to stop doing my master's, put it on hold, or just fail out of the program. That's, that's where I was at. Um, but I was also at the point where I didn't give a shit because I was just thinking about how I was going to end my life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my mom came home. I, she was doing something outside and I came outside and I was bawling and I sat, she had her trunk open and I sat in the trunk. She has an SUV, so it's not like I climbed in an awkward right. car trip. <laughs> I imagine you're messy because but yes, yes. Okay. And I was ball like I was sobbing. Yeah. And I looked at her and I said, I either need to go to the hospital and like be formed. Had you ever been in the hospital before? Not for my mental health. Okay. No. Um, so I said I either needed to go to a hospital get formed or try and get put on a psychiatric unit because it's not safe for me. Like, and so once I finally said that, like I'd been thinking about suicide for weeks before I actually said anything, my mom broke down crying. Um, yeah, that was a really challenging day. Um, but I told my mom I didn't want to go to a hospital in in our city. Right. Because one, I work in the profession. Two, it's a small city. Yeah. And I know too many people who work at the hospitals. Yeah. So my mom wouldn't let me out of her sight ever. Um, while we tried to kind of contemplate what to do, I was on a million different lists to see different psychiatrists, counselors, psychologists. I'm so happy you said something. Oh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm so glad you said something. And I, I kind of only said it to my mom because I was like, I don't, I don't know why I said it because I really did not care if I lived or died. Mm -hmm. I did not. I think you maybe were doing it for her more than yourself. I, I definitely was because yeah, I think that would have killed my mom to like find me dead. So I was at my cottage. My mom was there. Um, yeah, we were just there for the weekend and I overdosed on my medications. Okay. Um, and I did it there because I did not want to go to a Kingston hospital. And I knew that doing it there, they wouldn't send me to Kingston. Right. So I was at Belleville. I was at Belleville. I was in Belleville. Wait. <sighs> yeah. What happened when you overdosed? I lived. I <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm just curious. Like, did you... Did you fall asleep i did you stumble out to your mom it's a great question i haven't really thought about it since yeah like what it was like um so 
Yeah, I actually, yeah, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, so I overdosed on my sleeping medications. Um, so I got really sleepy. Um, but my mom every night would check on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, or sleep with me. Um, so my mom, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot of recollection of what happened after taking them. My mom came in. This is what she just told me. Okay. Um, my mom came in to check on me. I had vomited in my sleep. Oh no. Um, I was luckily on my side. I'm a side sleeper. Oh, okay. So she saw that, um, she didn't call 911. Um, because she was like, I have a car right here. I'm not going to wait for an ambulance to get here. Right. So, yeah, she put me in the car. We drove. Were you asleep at that point? Oh, I have. I was, yeah, I was not. Okay. Um, I wasn't to the point where, like, my heart had stopped or anything like that. I was just very I, deep asleep. Right. Um, I hadn't thrown up all the medications. Some of them definitely were in my system. So I get to the hospital. I was admitted, um, and yeah, I I don't know how long did I spend there. I didn't have a uh, phone. It was a while. Um, yeah, I didn't have my phone for a very long time in there. Um, yeah, and then I I even when I had my phone, I didn't really want to spend time on my phone. Yeah, um, which is good because I didn't want to go on social media. Like I didn't want that. I tried to only use my phone to like text my mom, text my sister. Um, yeah, that was it. And then, so when I left that hospital, um, my care was then transferred to Kingston. Um, so I saw a psychiatrist, I say it's like inpatient, outpatient. Right. Um, because I wasn't a patient at the hospital, but I saw a psychiatrist within the hospital. Right. So I did that whole in between thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know what to call that. Inpatient, outpatient. Yeah. Oh, and previous to my hospital stay there, I had surgery. Um, right. For my disease. Right. Um, which just kind of made me fall even further down the rabbit hole. Yeah. It's like me when uh, I was on my period, broken hand and going yeah, through psychosis. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like not, so many things. Not a good time. And you have no support system. Yeah. It's a great time. Not. Um. Yeah, and then that's how you and I reconnected. Yeah. Um, yeah, you were great. Even just, like, providing games that would, like, distract me mm-hmm. from white walls and hospital beds and just hospital life. Yeah, well, I knew like how, I knew exactly oh, what you were going through. Yeah. And hospitals, ugh. Yeah, and not a good time. I was on high-dose medication there. Like, I... Right. Can't even. Yeah. Like, I don't have a whole lot of memory yeah, from that I time. Just put the dose right up. Yeah. Like, things I was feel on foggy. 15 milligrams when I was in the hospital. Yeah. And then when I got home, they changed my prescription to five milligrams. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Like, why would, Why is it so high in the hospital? They just, like, they, they're really just trying to get you to a point where you can eventually reach your baseline. Right. Which I get, but, like, you just feel so subdued. Like, I didn't know how much time was passing. Yeah. Like. Same. Days felt slow, 
but I didn't have any concept of time, like yeah. in terms of like weeks, days. I had no idea. Yeah, same here. Um, yeah, so came back, um, psychiatrist in Kingston. Um, got myself on a different medication um, and got myself to a therapeutic dose um, on that medication obviously through the help with psychiatry. It's not like I was like, yeah, let's just, I'm going to prescribe my own medication. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, did that. Um, and then, yeah, I, I've been working since then to rebuild my support system from the ground up. I've had one solid friend from high school Mm -hmm. separate from that group who has who been in high school yeah yeah who's been there um through it all um and she's been amazing i love her so much mm -hmm. um but yeah other than her like and my family i've rebuilt my whole support system if you had anything to say to someone who's going through what you went through what would you say Oh, that's a really tough question. What would I say? I would say... Embrace the suckiness, but don't let it consume you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what I found was really helpful, kind of going back to how we talked about um, how, like, w when you talk to people and you're so self-aware that like it kind of makes you like almost nauseated when you're listening to someone who's kind of just trying to feed you bullshit. Yeah. After having that self-awareness, I kind of just got to the point where I'm like, I'm not having any fake friendships. Like I will not put my energy into people who don't reciprocate. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, and that's self-compassion too. Yeah. Oh, it is. Learning where to put your energy and conserving it for the ones that matter. Yeah. And like, it was challenging because at first I genuinely felt like I'll never make friends. Like making friends as an adult is hard. Yeah, it is. Like in high school, you have hundreds of people around you every day. Yeah. You're doing sports. You're doing this. Like, especially in a pandemic. Like, mm -hmm. how do you make friends? Like yeah. you can't go places. Um. So I really invested in listening to other people and kind of um, taking those opportunities. So like when I heard your story, I reached out because you were being vulnerable, you were being open, you were being real. And that's the type of people that I wanted to draw into my life. Mm. Um, and so even if I reached out just to support you, I reached out in like a very kind of understanding and like vulnerable way myself. And like, I feel like that type of shared vulnerability just builds like a level of like trust and support that is kind of unmatched. Yeah. Um, and that's what you need to kind of do is like maybe reflect on, like old friendships that you've kind of let go that were really healthy or that could be really healthy now. 
Yeah. And kind of reinvest your time and try and, yeah, just get back to maybe reaching out without expectation. Yeah. Yeah. Like reach out in a non selfish way. Like if you see someone struggling, especially after something that you like, th- that you and I have both been through. Yeah. Like genuinely be there for that person because. Oh, my, oh, my bell, let's talk day. I have so many mixed emotions of that day. Oh, yeah. But like some of my friends, I put in quotations, who just were non-existent throughout this year on bell, let's talk day. They were all like, bell, let's talk. Like, be there for your friends. Check in on them. And I'm like, (laughs) my face was just like. mad surprise like I was just like what yeah and like even if a straight up stranger or like my worst enemy messaged me and was like I'm struggling I need help I'm contemplating suicide I would a thousand percent be like I am here for you what can I do yeah I think providing kind of that just genuine support and just like caring yeah and and not doing it for social media purposes yeah I've been helping my one friend through their struggle right now like they were in the hospital Mm -hmm. in Ottawa yeah yeah I remember you were telling me about them and yeah like they're still struggling they're still going to but getting to the other side and yeah I'm genuinely helping as much as I can Mm -hmm. and I think she knows as well that I have to protect myself a certain amount. Yeah. Just because I'm struggling myself. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's it can be hard sometimes. But I think but, setting setting those boundaries yeah. and kind of making them known to other people, like, I'm here for you, I love you, I care about you, I support you. Yeah. But just saying, like, I do have to protect myself just helps a lot of people as much as I can. Yeah. And I think that that helps people not internalize why you might be a little distant or why you like, they might not be getting from you what they would hope or would want, but it it is open and honest communication. Yeah. And I think you can give. Yeah. And I will always do that. Like it's as much as I can at that given moment like yeah some parts of your life are going to be different where you can yeah yeah I mean put aside a lot more to help and less yeah. than others but yeah I think I think uh she knows that too and yeah yeah I well, mean I've reached I tell I love I love you so much you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here I went and visited her we, we yeah. had lunch one day that was really nice and yeah we're trying to get together soon and nice yeah I think yeah just like I told that friend group that I was struggling and one of the two of them said like I'm here for you blah 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 like but then I never heard from them for like months yeah I don't understand that and it's I just even but yet when, I don't know, but yet when they see, like, people on the news who have died from, like, our high school due to overdoses or suicide, they post it, they repost it, 
Yeah. You're like, oh, wish I could have. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wish I could have been there. But it's like, do you don't don't post about it when yeah. when like you know people who are suffering who yeah. yeah you've you've given nothing to and I don't know I think it just goes back to like being open and honest and just genuine yeah and yeah genuine it's it's hard to find oh my gosh genuine friendships like I can count on my hand my friends. Yeah. My like friends who I would trust with anything, who I would go to in a heartbeat, who are genuine. And and I think that it's okay to have a small friend group. I'd rather have five close friends than ten mediocre meh friends yes i agree i think it's quality over quantity and i'm grateful that i even can say i have at least three or four that Mm -hmm. you know it's it's so hard to find but when you do find it oh oof it's like the stars align and you're like my people yeah and yeah yeah it's magic yeah, but, like, there was also a time last year when I was, like, I have one friend. Yeah. Like, one friend who is close. Like, yes, I have other, like, friends, but not people who I would trust and be vulnerable with. And I, yeah, I think those are kind of just, like, mediocre friendships and just... So how do you help a client or a friend or a mm-hmm. person that can't see that, that like, this isn't forever, the future, I'm, I, I'm going to meet friends. Yeah. I'm, I can change whatever situation to be what I want it to be to an extent. Yeah. How do you get someone to get out of this cloud of like, of what you were in? Yeah. How do you get someone out of that? It's so challenging and... It's so everyone's hard. yeah everyone's experience with it is different, but I I would say take things one day at a time, mm-hmm. and if you can't take things one day at a time, take things one hour at a time. Bo told me that in high school, and it, she was the first one to tell me that. Yeah, and I've literally taken it with me. Yeah, like. One day at a time. Like, it's like the simplest, yeah. it, but it's so effective. But yeah, like last year, I genuinely couldn't even do one day at a time. Mm. Like there was a time when I couldn't do a, a day mm. and like thinking about making it to nighttime was painful and was stressful. Yeah. And I would say if if you can't kind of take it a day at a time, take it an hour at a time. Yeah. Do something that is self-care whether and like I'm not talking bubble bath face mask I'm talking take your medication yeah that is an act of self-care yeah I think self-care has been like oh it's so blown up yeah like have a shower Mm. because 
eat. Yeah, I wasn't showering regularly because put on clean clothes. Yeah, exactly. It's like those small acts, change your bed sheets. Yeah. Um, like step outside, not even go for a walk, step outside. Yeah, open a window. Or like get out of bed. Yeah. It's it's like those small things. And I think that we glamorize self-care. That's a good word. Yeah. Like self-care does not have to be glamorized. And, and I think that's what a lot of people underestimate about self-care is self-care isn't always pretty. No, it's, it's not always something that's enjoyable and it might be challenging at the time. Like I didn't want to leave my bed ever. Yeah. But I, I needed to because it was one step closer to what might be better because keep, keep doing the same thing I was doing and just keep staying in bed. I know how that looks because I've been doing it. So it's, it's kind of like that one step, like just one foot in front of the other. Yeah. You don't have to run the marathon. You just have to take those steps. Um, so, yeah. I was doing a form of that and I do it sometimes still. It's like, I don't even allow myself because sometimes you need to stay in bed. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. But I would get to a point where it's like I was self-harming in mm-hmm. a way where I wasn't allowing myself to rest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was just actively picking up shifts and like yeah. going out and doing everything yeah. when what I should have been doing was nothing. Yeah. And I was overexhausting myself. Yeah. And I knew that was the most unhealthy thing I could mm-hmm. be doing. Mm-hmm. But it was like a form of self-harm. Yeah. I wasn't oh, even yeah. letting myself no and rest and that's another like aspect dangerous. (laughs) yeah and like kind of that self-compassion of acknowledging like what do I need right now and sometimes um like when some people do struggle with anxiety depression I found that with my anxiety I try and like overbook myself so that I don't have time to to have that time to overthink Yes. Whereas with my depression, I don't want to do anything. So it's it's weird having that self-awareness of like knowing when my anxiety is overly high and kind of how I cope in an unhealthy way, mm-hmm. which is making myself so scheduled and so booked that I am like so overworked and so overrun to try and not allow myself time to like mentally sit still or physically because I don't want my brain to go to places. Yeah. Um, And that's where practicing mindfulness came in handy a lot. Um, That's what I do a lot with my clients. Mindfulness to a lot of them sounds really silly at first, but it teaches you to be present in the moment mm-hmm. with your thoughts. And I don't mean present in the moment with your overthinking thoughts. I mean, present in the moment with like right now I am here, I'm sitting, I am 
with a great friend who is super supportive. I, they have a very cute dog. <laughs> and, like, I had a great night. And just saying just, it out loud. Just, yeah. The facts about the present moment. Yeah. And, like, saying, I think with anxiety, what's huge is we think of a situation and then we overthink it so much that we kind of think of an outcome before we even know anything is true. Mm-hmm. We talk about a lot, CBT a lot, if you want to yeah. talk about CBT. Yeah. Cognitive behavioral therapy is great. So that's how our thoughts um, impact. Or it, it all, mm-hmm. you can do it so many different ways. But our, Trifecta. <laughs> yeah. How our thoughts impact our behaviors that impact our feelings. Yes. Um, and how, and you can say that different ways. So how our behaviors impact our thoughts, how, like it goes every different way because everything impacts each other. Um, Which is why physical and mental oh, health is so intertwined. Oh, it should be treated equally, but it's not because of the stigma. The worst thing that I hate <laughs> about our healthcare system. I love that we have like, uh, no, actually I shouldn't say I love everyone. Who's like, oh my gosh, in Canada, we have free health care. We have free physical We healthcare? have free physical health care. That line has been drawn. Right. Healthcare is not accessible no. for individuals who have addictions, who have mental health issues, who have like issues that affect their social determinants of health. So whether that's housing, lack of employment, like those all contribute to one's health. Mm-hmm. If someone doesn't have a job, they don't have the ability to buy food. They don't have the ability to pay for their rent, which impacts their mental health, which impacts their physical. Like, but our healthcare system mainly prioritizes you have a broken arm, we have a cast. Yeah. You have mental health issues. Uh, here's a waiting yeah. list. You may have to pay a bunch of money. And not even that. They sometimes, like most of the time, you go to the emergency room mm-hmm. saying, I'm experiencing mental health issues. I feel suicidal. It's the, you feel suicidal. Then they ask, do you have a plan? Yeah. Do you have the means to achieve that plan? Yeah. And like, will you will you actually do it? It's so stigmatizing. Yeah. It's almost as, I mean, it is. You have to actively have tried and be physically, like, either not there or, um, yeah, like, you, you have to be brought in by ambulance or brought in in an emergency situation where it's, like, life or death. Yeah. To be considered, like, oh... Oh, it is serious. Like you were serious. Mm-hmm. Like we we bring people to the hospital all the time who have severe mental health and addictions issues, who have like schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, bipolar disorder, and they are not well. Some of them come off their medications, which means their delusions, their paranoia is intense. And it's it's sad because they they feel like someone else is telling them to kill themselves sometimes. Yeah. And that is something that they take very seriously. 
because they, to them, that is their reality. And some of them do, and they're not taken seriously when they actively seek help. Yeah. But yeah, I, it's, our healthcare system is not, not set up for all aspects of health. No, definitely not. And then even when I was in my outpatient program, there was a three-year cap. Yep. Luckily, at three years, I was pretty much on the other side of my recovery. But Mm -hmm. a lot of the people that I'd known for three years Mm -hmm. and seeing for those three years in that waiting room were still struggling. Oh, yeah. it's And And all that work that they'd done with those counselors had to be cut off and they had to go to another program. Yep. That's the thing with like so many government funded health care, mental health care systems is you get like eight to 10 sessions and then that's it. Yeah. Like you're, you're done with that agency. Yeah. And then you go and try and find another agency and you get on a wait list and that's it. It's whereas you go in with a broken arm, you come out with a cast. You go in saying you have mental health issues. You probably don't even come out with any, Anything. any resources, any services. I had to, I went to my family doctor, but three times for mm-hmm. mental health. Yeah. The third, third or fourth time I finally just broke down crying. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then he was like, Oh, then they take you seriously. They're like, Oh, oh okay. And, and then I had to leave the office with a like swollen face, yeah. which is what I didn't want to do. I yeah. wanted to calmly tell him, here are my symptoms. Here's yeah. what's going on. Cause I'd already been through psychosis. Mm-hmm. So I knew what was going on with my anxiety. Yeah. And they're like, but he's like, Oh, well, like if it gets worse, come. So finally, how much worse do they want it to get? Like you've already come yeah. out the other end. You do not want to go back to where you were. No, you're trying to calmly state, explain before it gets worse. Yeah. Like, I am recognizing this is how I'm feeling. Yeah. I know where I, I have so been. It's, yeah, it's not And fun. I said to him, I was like, this is what I didn't want. Now I have to go walk out. And he was like, well, you can sit in here oh. for as long as you want. I was like, no, I just wanted to tell you calmly. But now I had to break down crying. Yeah. And it's like just embarrassing and, like, and no one wants, no And one no one wants gets it. No. Yeah. And no one wants to feel so vulnerable. Yeah. In, and like, they don't want to feel like they have to prove themselves and like prove that they're experiencing significant mental health challenges. Like, yeah. you take me at my word if, if I'm like, I think I have a bladder infection. Mm. Like, if I say I have mental health issues, are you going to prescribe getting my brain looked at? Mm. Which often people do. No, because you're just going to be like, oh, like, just go home, maybe do some self-care, yeah. take a walk. Well, you look okay. Yeah. You look oh. fine. When people, oh, I hate when they're like, well, you look okay. Mental health is not something that is seen. Yeah. I have smiled through my mental health, and I have bawled my eyes out through my mental health. Yeah. Both were extreme times of struggle. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, well, I think this is a good conclusion because... Yeah. We know the because we're saying this whole podcast, we damn well know how these clients are going to be feeling. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
And I think, and I'm sure you can agree, they see that. And I think that's going to build a really a good bond from yeah. like, client to practitioner. I think, I think that that is what helps me build so much rapport with my clients is yeah. I, I take the time to listen to their stories. Um, and I think that even just that aspect of having someone listen, yeah, they, after they appreciate it so much because they're like, most people don't even let me explain. They just kind of cut me off and they don't, they don't get to hear my story. They don't even try to understand. No. And yeah. like I bend over backwards for every client. If I'm not able to provide them services, I will find them someone who will. Mm. I will get them on a wait list. I will yeah. try and push them to the top. And like I genuinely try and do anything and everything I can for an individual that comes into contact with me in terms of my professional setting because they deserve that. Okay, last minute. Do you have any last words, any words of wisdom? You want to share to someone out there that's listening, that has struggled with <sighs> counseling in the past, anything, anyone, or um, yours? I think genuinely focus on pouring your energy into people who give it back. I think that's so important to learn both now and as an adult Yeah, that your energy and your, like, Everything is so precious. Your peace, your well-being. Yeah, that it shouldn't be wasted on people who aren't willing to give you the time of day that you give them. Yeah. And those friendships are out there and are possible. Thank you. You're welcome. And there we have it, episode 17. Thank you to my guest. Thank you so much. I love you so much. This adds to a better narrative to mental health professionals because the first thing a lot of people have been asking me lately when I when they ask what I'm studying in school, when I say mental health and addictions, they're like, oh, like, have you been through it yourself? Because a lot of people know that and have experienced when, you know, counselors or therapists don't really have a lot of emotion behind their practice. It's very by the book. So it's really good to know that like some of your some of the mental health professionals have been through it and are going through it just like you but you know of course they can't you can't indulge too much with your client because it's about it's about you when you go to that session um as for me I moved into a one-bedroom apartment I just finished my school semester one course left I'm doing the podcast. I've got my jewelry business, Happily Mental Jewelry on Instagram if you want to, if you haven't taken a look yet. But I know this episode is long and I don't want to keep you. So thank you if you've listened this far. I don't, I won't judge if you haven't. <laughs> um, I look forward to doing a new, another episode. I think the next one will just be by myself just because I have so many things that I've learned since this. I like, I haven't uploaded since September and we... My guest and I recorded this in October, so a lot has changed. I've, you know, I've learned a lot and I love to share it with you. So 
With that being said, I look forward to talking to you very, very soon. I am, in fact, recording this on Christmas, and this is going up very soon. So um, if you're celebrating, I hope you're doing okay. I'm pretty much not. I'm just going over to my mom's, just be me and her this year for COVID reasons. And if you don't celebrate, it's just another day. It feels like another day for me too. But um, I appreciate you for listening, and I'll, uh, yeah, I'll talk to you very soon. I love you. Have a good day.